be turning to a very familiar passage of Scripture, which is the book of James. And I appreciate this opportunity to be able to deliver the word that God has laid on my heart this morning. And it's been heavy on my heart, and even in this very service, can feel what God is wanting to do. Amen. And I would ask each of us just to be sensitive to what God is wanting to do in this house this morning, because it's not by chance that we feel Him. It is for a purpose. Amen. And I appreciate this honor to take the place on a Sunday morning when our fine pastor comes and delivers the Word of God. He is a phenomenal Bible teacher, a phenomenal teacher, and pastor, and preacher, and I so appreciate this opportunity to be able to come into this house and be able to break the Word having someone who has mentored me and been with me for uh, many years. Our lives have been together, and uh, it's amazing that God has changed me because of being able to be ministered to by Bishop Riggin and the ministers in this church as well, and uh, I appreciate it. You know, we need each other more than we realize. We really do. Amen. Before I get into that, I want to get into the Word of God and read our text. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, one that many of you can quote portions from it. In James chapter 5, we'll be reading in verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. I think we did a little bit of that this morning, and I believe God continues to honor that. This is his word. It has not failed. God still operates in the very same fashion. Even when they can't get to this house, the prayers of these people that God has called out of darkness can reach down and touch heaven's door for their benefit. God has done it many, many times for me, and I'm sure he's done it for you. And I am looking forward to what God is going to do from the prayers that were prayed even in this very moment. In verse 15, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. In the verse of scripture I want to place emphasis on is verse 16. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer... Of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Amen, amen. If you can lay your Bibles down, I want us to be able to get our minds on the word. We've been in worship And let's step into the word as God has prepared our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, you're moving in this house for a reason. It is not by accident. God, you have called the very elect together today to worship you in worship and in word. God, you have laid this word upon my heart, God. I ask you to do with it what you will. For me to step out of the way, Master, and you speak to the hearts of the hungry. Hallelujah. Do your will in this service this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
God has a plan for each of you. It's different when you're in the midst of an environment where someone is handing out and drawing names out of a basket or calling names at random and you're like, I could probably win or I've won this before. It's just by chance. And it's interesting that whenever you have someone get up in front of a group of people and make the statement that everybody is going to get a new car versus I'm giving away a new car. The room comes alive because everybody realizes I benefit from this. And it's what the Word of God is giving to us, even in this scripture, there are conditions, yes, but God is telling us there is something that He wants to do for us. God did not call us out of a life of sin. Your testimony did not stop at the altar. It didn't stop just because, oh, I used to go to a church. Your testimony is alive and real today because God has a plan for you. So when I say God has a plan for you, it's for everybody. I'm not speaking in general terms. You have a purpose. And it's a beautiful purpose. And you should walk in that purpose and accept it. It's not always what we want or feel like we should have, but it's God's purpose. And when God gives purpose, it's not by chance. He chose it just for you. It's tailored just for you. I want to pull out a portion of Scripture, and we'll focus on that very passage in verse 16. But I want to give us just a brief introduction of just a few words, if I may. The subject that we're going to talk about is everyone that God has called. And that's you and I. So we are all a part of this. This is not something that this word is giving anybody that is exempt from. In the Acts 2 experience that we believe, it was for everyone who would believe on this scripture and believe and obey the word, it is available to everyone. All right, the passage of scripture that came to mind was Acts 2 and 39. It's talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. It says, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Even the words that God would give unto the holy men of old to write the scriptures and to be able to pen these words, they apply to us even in this day, even though we do not have a connection of being in this very environment where the scripture was quoted or the church that this letter was written to and read in front of. God gave us this word so that we could abide by it and live in it, even in this very day. And just as free and welcoming as the invitation to experience salvation, the Bible clearly states this message is an open invitation to everyone that is listening. And so in this house this morning, the word of God, it's not one of those that you're going to be able to look and say, oh, he's preaching to them. No, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. It's all of us. We're in this service together. We might as well accept the Word of God. You know what? You may not agree with me, but you have to agree with the Word of God. And if I go in contrary to anything the Scripture says, I'll be man enough to accept it and say I was wrong. But the Word of God, as it's read, the Word of God is not wrong. The Scripture that we want to talk about is James 5 and 16. It says, confess your faults one to another 
man, you have all kinds of faith until we get to this portion of the passage we read. Everything sounds good. I'll run up to the front. All I got to do is do this and say, Pastor, pray. But there's healing that comes from this very act of confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. You know what that means? That means you have a responsibility to pray for me if I come to you, Brother Seely. And I have a responsibility to pray for you if you come to me. This is personal. This isn't some abstract thing that you can extract from a service and we're worshiping and someone comes up and all of a sudden they ask for prayer. It's like, all right, they're doing their thing, we'll do ours. No, it's our response to help them pray for their need. That ye may be healed. My, my. And then we like to quote this passage of Scripture of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We can all quote that. But we're going to talk about the last part of this Scripture. And we're going to spend some time on this. You see, religions have based this passage of Scripture, have used this passage of Scripture to teach that confession. Confession to a priest would be able to uh, forgive them of their sins. And they use this passage of Scripture that salvation is given, and I just have to go sit down and, and, and talk to somebody and confess my sins, and I will be saved. The Scripture is not talking about absolving of sins by sitting in front of a priest. Now, there's nothing wrong with confiding in the right person. It'll make you feel better, because if you're sitting in front of your pastor talking to the right person... Good things will come from that. But that does not mean you have to dump your whole life on them. It means this is something, Bishop, I need your insight. Help me pray. This is something that I need your guidance on. It's not, well, I didn't know what to buy for lunch today. And I was kind of curious and I was tempted because I was supposed to be fasting. And those are things you can manage on your own. But when life gives you a hand that you don't know what to do with, you go to your pastor. That is your counsel. That is your wise counsel. Guess what? It's not me. It's not Brother Hilton. It's your pastor. You know, mm, ah, there are so many rabbit trails, and I'll try to stay focused here. So many things that can be said here. But if you take away one thing that God will honor, if you will go and honor your pastor and submit and give him the words that are upon your heart instead of the ear, the nearest ear around you is not the right ear. It's your pastor. Stop talking about people and talk to your pastor. My, my, my. We need each other. We mutually serve the needs of the body of Christ. We do. When uh, a soul, a heart, someone that's hungry comes into this house, it is upon us to mutually serve that person who comes in, but it's also upon us to serve one another. Our worship serves the collective body of Christ. Our prayers serve the body of Christ. And as we come together, it's our faithfulness to the house of God that likewise serves each and every one of us. What would you think? And there are people that you know, may say, well, they used to come here and they just disappear off the radar. It's not of God for people just to walk out the church and never hear from us. It's our responsibility to say, oh no, come back here. 
I won't teach on it today, but you can read the last two verses of Scripture in this chapter where it talks about the man that goes out and helps someone be saved. It helps you, not just them. And so it's our responsibility. It's carved out in Scripture at the end of chapter 5. It talks about us being willing not just to have faith that God can heal, but also being willing and able to reach out and talk to somebody around us and pull those that are lost or weak or feeble up and say, you can do this. It's our responsibility. So we mutually serve the needs of the body of Christ. God's way is for our prayers for your brothers and sisters to be upon your lips. And as I was reading scripture and studying, God put this song on my heart. And it's one we've sang many times. It says, I need you to survive. Now this is more than just a song. This is actually biblical. As you'll see, there'll be many things that come out in the lesson this morning that are part of this. But it says, I need you. You need me. Well, that's just a part of our text right there. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. But this next part says, I pray for you. You pray for me. I need you to survive. I won't harm you with my words. You know what those words are? Said to me in person or said behind my back? Those words still harm. I may never hear them. You may never hear the words I say, but they hurt me. When I say them, they hurt me. And when you say them, they hurt you. Probably more than they hurt the person you're talking about. Because I can tell you from experience, any time, any time that I have crossed that line, I feel something right here. It hurts. If you're at the point to where you can step over that line and not feel anything, God wants to help you this morning. I need you. You need me. But the question I have this morning is, are you effective in what God has called you to do? Or, if that doesn't apply, are you doing what God has called you to do? It's a question we must ask ourselves. And so, with that, let's jump into the portion of Scripture that I read to you from our text in verse 16. We'll be looking at the word effectual. When we look at this word, it's a transliteration of the Greek word. It is energio. And Thayer's definition of this word is to be operative. Be at work, put forth power, to work for one, aid one, to affect. It also says to display one's activity, to show oneself operative. Helps Word Studies goes on to say this, and the application of this word, it says engaged in, energize, working in a situation that brings it from one state or point to the next. And they likened it to electrical current energizing a wire and bringing it to a light that's shining through a bulb. There's, an ex uh, there's a description or example in the Holy Scriptures that we can read where it talks about one who exemplified this very thing. And what we want to have in each and every one of our lives, we have, as I've already talked about, the purpose. And we'll speak more to that here in a moment. But it's whether or not we're doing everything according to 
his purpose. And we'll talk to that in more detail as well. But John the Baptist was a man who is in this very scripture, uh, shows us, and we'll give a short overview for those maybe not familiar with the context of scripture that I will read out. But John the Baptist was murdered by the King Herod because the man of God spoke against his illicit relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. And through manipulation, Herodias was able to silence the man of God that spoke against her sins. And she used her very own daughter in the act of murder. And she used those around them and played upon the emotions and the commitment of being able to play upon her father and those around. And this was something that was a travesty. It's, it's the, the saints of God, it hurt them. It, the, the body of believers, it hurt them. And they, it wasn't something like, well, John's gone. No, it hurt the body of believers. But this was because of what had happened and the people didn't like. Uh, King Herod did not like what John the Baptist was saying. But when King Herod met Jesus... He was convinced that he had met John the Baptist again. You can read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 14, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. What a life John lived, that Jesus, even Jesus, was thought to have been him. Have you ever been mistaken for Jesus in your life? Now, most of us don't know what Jesus looks like, but the Bible tells us what he acts like. Have you been mistaken for Jesus in your life? You see, John the Baptist was a good man. He did what God God had ordained for him to do. But what a life he lived. He was that one preparing the way of the Lord. That voice crying in the wilderness. We have all, and I I dare say most of us, if you go out of this house, and even sitting in this house today, you wonder in your mind about the things going on around you. It feels like a wilderness. Am I the only one in my little sphere that believes that God can do these things? Am I the only one that believes this apostolic truth outside of my church family, and you go stand in a Walmart, and you are someone who is foreign to the world around you. We are much like John the Baptist. We declare the way before the lost. We are the ones who go out into a lost and dying world and feel out that way, and we're trying to figure out, is this person hungry? Is this person hungry for more? Would they receive a Bible study? And we began to have those spiritual feelers out. John the Baptist done mighty great things. God has put something in front of us that we can be just as John. Not We can't replace John. But we can go out and be like him. Be like Jesus. And we can be effective in this world. I would say that the forerunner did the job well. When we look at the word effectual. You see, busy is not the same as being effectual. Effectual comes not finding God in your busyness, but being focused on the work of the Father. We can't be in our chaotic state of mind 
and expect God to come in and say, hey, let me help you with this. If we're not reaching for him, how is he going to be able to get through our barriers and our walls we put up? And sometimes we find safety in those areas where this is, and we describe him as being, this is just me. But God is wanting to reach down into the depths of the heart of each and every one of us. We're all busy, myself included. Everybody has our issues and our schedules and conflicts and we're trying to compete with life and we're trying to keep God as a priority. But God wants us to step back and put Him first and fit everything in around it. That's the object. That's the focus for us as the church. But going back to the word effectual, we'll see that this word, this word empowers whatever work it precedes. And so when we look at the word energio, it intensifies ergon, which is the transliteration of the Greek word work. And so we are engaged in work. We make something happen with work. Have you ever had those days when you finish doing your job and you step back and say, I didn't even feel like I got anything done. I feel like I was putting out fires. Like, what did I do today? And I've had those moments where it just seems like chaos. And I go back and I scroll through my emails and I'm like, I only sent this many emails today. Did I do anything? And we look at ourselves and we wonder, how effective am I in the kingdom? Now, every unit of measure in the kingdom is not the same. Just because you have brought someone to the church as a visitor doesn't mean that just because I didn't bring somebody that I didn't do anything. Just because I may have went and done this for the kingdom for an hour doesn't mean that because I didn't see it, you didn't do anything. But I ask the question, are you effective in what God has called you to do? So you must look at the connection that we're trying to make here this morning. It's more than praying. It's about having power behind your prayers. It's about making the difference in prayers because I can tell you from personal experience when I pray and I'm just going through the motion, it feels like I've done absolutely nothing. And it's that very same instance, I checked the box is what I did. And you can't always just gauge prayers upon tears. Because we're emotional beings and things move upon us. And sometimes in our prayers, we get so attached to the problem and it draws us to emotion instead of talking to the solution that can bring us to tears of joy and happiness. And sometimes it's that trial that drives us to our knees and it what keeps us there instead of a solution us tying into and saying, God, you've did it before, you can do it again. You've healed before, you can do it again. We try to put just prayers out there and they seem like they're just falling on the ground and I've been there and it's not a good place to be because it feels like you're wasting your time. But when you can put power behind your prayer, when I can put something behind those words that I say, when they're more than just words flowing off of my lips, but they're flowing from the depths of my heart. And it doesn't matter who's around me. It doesn't matter who hears those words. In a sense, if I could say it this way, just because you overhear me praying and there's some words that I feel are, are um, personal, it shouldn't stop me from praying because, you know what, you may overhear that and say, God, I need you to touch my brother. You see what he's going through. 
you can pick that up. It's not a direct confession of an issue that's struggling within my life. But if you're sensitive, I can hear your prayers. Just like Brother Hilton said this morning, I heard the prayers of the saints calling out Sister Sandy's name. It's where we lay aside our needs and we reach over and we pick up another brother's. And they may not even know it, but all of a sudden that load just gets a little bit lighter. There is power in prayer. The conduit for success is working in God's purpose for your life. If you try to do things outside of God's will for your life, you will not be successful. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are called, who are the called, according to His purpose. We must understand that every step we make has to be in the purpose of God. Every word we say must be according to His purpose. And even today, I weigh the words that I say because I know they impact hearts. That's why prayer tempers the heart of a message that comes from a preacher that steps to the pulpit or even a Bible study sitting across from someone at a table. You temper those words with prayer and with love and you say them not in in hate and, and you're not saying them with words that are meant to hurt, but it's to pull them closer to, not to you, but to God. We as a witness must witness according to His purpose. When we pray, it's according to His purpose. Not my will, but your will. Not who I want to sit next to, but God, who are you working in their lives? The Apostle Paul wrote to his beloved son in the gospel, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, of his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. It is the power of God that will get you through every trial that God asks of you to complete. You can't do this on your own. We as men in the house, we have this flaw. This flaw that almost all of us have. I can do it on my own. You open up a box and they may have a Bible of instructions. And we're like, okay, let's put this right over here. And we go and we look at the box and we try to assess the situation and we try to solve the problem and put it together. If you ever went to Ikea and bought an item from Ikea, it'll be a test of your faith putting that thing together. Because you're on the showroom floor and they have this edifice that covers this wall. And you're like, I want that. And then you go to the checkout and they say, all right. Here it is, we'll go to the shelf, and it's like this box, this box, this box, and it's like these little boxes that all add up to this stack that seems like this is impossible. But life can be like that. We look at others and we say, oh, I want to be like that person. But you don't know what it took for that person to have to build that structure, the things they had to go through, and the things they had to fight through in their very own life for them to have that what you see physically It took them years, decades to get to where they are at today. And the Apostle Paul, talking to a young man and the gospel, and his son begins to tell him, be a partaker in the afflictions 
of the gospel according to the power of God. Not me, not Apostle Paul, but it's for God's help. Because he goes on into verse 9 and says, Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Oh, that's powerful. You know what? That means his purpose has the grace to complete it. Not the will, not the fortitude, not the knowledge, not the know-how. God's grace. His grace is sufficient. We must work according to his purpose. And it goes on to say, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What a beautiful statement. What you're going through right now, he had in mind for you. And he has the plan for you to get through it. What he has in plan for you in the future that you don't even know, you're just in the baby steps. Your hand is on the door. God has a plan for you. And he's going to help you get through it. Many people try to impose their own will on their situation in life. We try to come up with sayings that will empower people and try to enable folks and they try to step outside of Scripture. But if you could summarize some of my statements that I've said this morning, if I could say it this way, you can't do you, boo. You know, people like to say, oh, well, you know, I don't agree with you. You do you, boo. Like to give them that dismissive permission to do what they want. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't give us that exemption. There's not this fine print at the bottom that says, but unless your name is Douglas Goff and you've been through this and your life is like this and this has happened, then this condition applies and you just do you. That doesn't happen. You are powerless without the word of God, without the power of God on your side. You are Someone who has no power, you're weak, you're, you cannot lift up and do things on your own. It has to come from the power of Almighty God. In order for you to have the help you need, you must be able to reach down and say, God, I need your help. Now, I ran across a passage of Scripture the other day, and it's not even spiritual, so turn the spiritual mind off right now. But I was talking to the boys the other night, and they were talking about playing chess. And I've heard some of the others play, talk about this, and it's all the rage right now. It's a new game. And Kaiser and Xander and I, we were talking about it, and it was interesting. And I, I am not a chess player. I am, I'm not even a checkers player. I'm more of that little triangle game at Cracker Barrel. I'm a peg jumper. That's my speed up here. I, I am not, and I can't even beat that. So I'm probably, the lowest I've got is probably three. It's just keeping my mind off of waiting for my food. But to keep my sons humble, I decided to join in and, you know, play chess with them. And I chose a Bible verse as my name. I chose the verse of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 24. It says this, And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. So Deuteronomy 724 is my chess name. If you play me, you're coming against God, not me. Because I'm just a peck jumper. But you never know the power you have to lean on for you to get things done. Now, if I've played a few of you in chess, I think 
I came out of retirement from grade school and played Brother Jaheim, and uh, I won. And uh, he made all kinds of accusations against me of being a player and being able to play and not saying I can, and, but I still won. It was victorious, and I'm not going to play him again because I got lucky. And I can't beat anybody. I'm sitting there playing with Xander, and he's starting to talk trash on me. And I make a move, and he takes a player, and he's like, Dad, you're in a low place. He starts to get arrogant, and he's getting there smacking popcorn in his mouth, trying to get me to shake my nerve. And I'm trying to figure out, where does these things go? Does a pawn go one or two spots? Does a, what's a knight do? And I'm calling them ponies, and the little, can't tell the difference between a king and the queen, and just nothing but, I can't play. But we're like that in life. We don't have to figure everything out. If you have yourself convinced that you're a failure at life, unless you know everything there is, you're setting yourself up to fail. You will put every player, if you think you have to look at the board of life and make all of these strategic moves by your hand, you will lose. You see, in life, there is no undo button. You know, I played the computer a match the other day, and I was able to win because I was able to go, I'll move here and let me see what he does. Oh, they did that. Back up. But life doesn't give us that luxury. We bear the scars of our life. And it's because we decided to put our hands on the pieces. My, my. You see, whatever God asks you to do will have an eternal impact. Let that sink in. You in church today has an eternal impact. Who you love bears eternity. Who you hate bears eternity. The words of your mouth have an eternal impact. God doesn't do the busy work. Look at the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons, for the, which the Father which hath put his own power but ye shall have received power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall, ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's a profound statement. We like to read this because we're on the uttermost part of the earth. But guess what? In order for us to have what we have, somebody had to move. Somebody had to leave Jerusalem. Somebody had to leave the comforts and be called according to his purpose for us to have what we have today. Somebody had to sacrifice for you. I had a very somber moment that it wasn't planned with my father just Friday night. We're sitting there on the couch celebrating seeming like 27 birthdays. We're sitting there. And he goes, you know what, son? Somebody had to pay a price for you to get here. I'm like, Okay, which direction is this going? The mind starts to try to figure out those. Is this going to go awkward? 
or is this something he hasn't told me? And your mind's just sitting there, and if you know my dad, he is not quick to speak. Every word is weighed, like taken out, weighed, shaved off, brought back. I'm sitting there, and it seemed like eternity for him. I almost said, okay, I give, tell me. But he says, I was thinking the other day that someone had to die for you to be here. And I said, okay. He goes, you had a brother that was before you, that had he lived, we never would have had another child. We had plans to make this the very last one, but yet, in the midst of pregnancy, it went south and had a miscarriage deep into the pregnancy. I think maybe like seven or eight months, seven months maybe. If he had lived, he was a boy, you would not be here. It brings a somber moment to the situation, thinking of you would not be here had someone not died. Someone paid the price for each and every one of us. Someone reached down into our hearts and says, I'm keeping you safe for a reason. And I'm here to tell you today, God wants to speak to you and tell you, you are going through the trial, you're living your life for a reason. I'm keeping you safe for a reason. He did not die so that you would be able to say, well, I know about Jesus. He wants to lead you and guide you into all truths. And he stood in front of his disciples and he says, it's not going to just be in Jerusalem, but we're going to go to the county, the country, the state, I'm sorry, outside of Jerusalem to Judea. And then we're going to go to Samaria, even larger. And then it doesn't stop there. Some of y'all are going to be missionaries. Some of you are going to go to the uttermost part, uttermost part of the earth. And Jesus let them know, leave the timing to me. Just be ready to execute my plan. Here's the scope of work. Starting here, we're going to go around the world with this message. Can you imagine being in that setting and Jesus giving those words and the very next thing you know, he's gone? Because he ascended up into heaven right after this. Those were some of the last words. And he said, listen, it's bigger than you. It's about me, my purpose, not your own. You may have been a fisherman, but I am giving you the power to go and do something great. You see, Jesus lived by this example. Jesus lost by his parents three days. They're journeying. His parents, Mary and Joseph, go looking for him. And Mary comes running in and is amazed by the words that Jesus, the scripture says, is a 12-year-old boy uttering these words and making the people around him have their mind absolutely blown. And Mary goes, why did you do this to your father and I? We were distraught looking for you. And he said unto them in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, how is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that it must be about my father's business? I have something bigger to do than go through that caravan that you're journeying in. I have something that I must do that's even bigger than me. God has called you to do something more than what you have ever thought you could even dream about, what you could even fathom in your mind. There's nothing that you can even think up in your wildest imaginations that you can exceed the ability for God in your life. 
Now, you may be wondering, Brother Goff, how in the world is this tying to where we started about healing and faith and where does this come from? But you have to have faith in God in order for you to achieve the purpose of God. But there are conditions upon that action upon us, each and every one of us. We have to have action upon us to be able to achieve what God has done for us. The Bible also talks about, in the verse of Scripture in verse 16, it uses the word fervent. Fervent. It's to be hot, to boil, to glow. You know what removes that zeal from my heart? Doing things my way. And if you'll be honest, the way it removes from your heart is by doing things your way. It's more than just what I want, but it has to be what he wants. I had a very real example hit me in the face yesterday, and I'll, I'll be, I'm very transparent in these statements. I thank God for what he has done for me help me in this situation. It was a bit of comedy there for a little bit, but panic there for a moment. If you were on the church Apple calendar and you got all the notifications yesterday, there was over 700 that just started coming in. I'm driving and all of a sudden my phone just starts blowing up. At first I thought it was all y'all reaching out, thinking that maybe the rapture had taken place, seeing if I was still here. It wasn't. It wasn't. But we received 700 notifications that past calendar events were being deleted. It was an accident, but it showed me something about me. While you all are deleting, saying, oh my goodness, and hitting delete in your calendar to purge them all out, I was sitting there saying, oh my word. Because there were things in that calendar from my past that spoke to me. You see, I seen a trend. That trend was calendar events that said, Brother Goff, out of town. Brother Goff, out of town. Over and over and over. Far less was that Brother Goff preaching. There was a point in time in my life where I was traveling three to four weeks a year to preserve a career, preserve what I thought was me. And looking back some 12, 13 years yesterday and having to delete every one of those, it hit me in my heart. That means that I, out of a month, I spent Monday through Thursday or Friday on the road, sleeping in a hotel, eating meals by myself, renting cars, flying next to strangers for doing something I thought I needed to do. I thought I was doing my purpose. And it smacked me in the face yesterday. And I began to reflect and say, God, you have helped me. You have helped me. Because no longer is that what I pursue because that's not what it takes for me to put bread and milk and cheese egg on my table for my family, that God has given me favor because I put him first. I wish I knew then what I know now, because all of those years and weeks that I spent every day, 
my children were getting a day older. And the times that I was gone, it was exponential. Guess what it was? Weeks at a time were being trimmed off of my time as a father figure in my, parent, my, my children's lives. To be the parent, the dad that I was called to be. But I thought I was doing my purpose. There's nothing wrong with the career. I'm seeing that now. But do it his way. Do it his way. Because it struck me in my heart. And as I knelt down and prayed in tears, I said, God, please find me faithful. Please find me faithful. Because faithful is more than knowing about God. It's about doing something with your faith. You see, as a minister, God placed a call upon my life. And Bishop has so graciously given me the opportunity in moments like this, that this is what I was called for. Working, providing for my family, that's what I do. And I want to find God in everything. And my mindset has shifted of, I could never go and tell anybody at my work about God. When I changed, guess what? People began to come to me and say, would you pray? I didn't say anything extra. You know what it was? I was becoming more like him. Ever so slightly, people began to see a ray of light in my life. They didn't see me dressed different because I looked just like them. I didn't condone their activities. I didn't change anything. I didn't, but it's how I looked at them. And I seen I have a purpose. And they saw that purpose in my heart. And where I was able to say, I'll pray. Church began to come up more frequently. People understand. And I didn't live a double life. Don't misunderstand me. I didn't, I wasn't Douglas here and Douglas there. You got to understand my statements. I, I still look the same. I still, and they knew what they, what they could and could not. But there was something deep in my heart, a switch that just clicked. It's more than you. And if God can do that for me after years and years of holding that mindset, God can do it for you. Put Him in focus with your faith. Because it has to have faith, has to have action. It's faith in God's grace, His healing, His strength, His mercy, His love. They must all be active in your heart, but only knowing will not save you. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do something with what you have. Do something with it. Pick it up. Look at it. Say, God, I don't understand it. My life feels like a puzzle, but you gave this to me, and this is all I have. Lead me and guide me in my faith. Because if we're willing to have faith in the process, willing to confess our faults one to another, you know what that is? That's transparency. And if you can't be transparent to God, how are you going to be transparent to those right next to you that you can see that you may even feel a deeper connection with someone next to you than you may feel with God? God says, have faith in the process. 
it will save you. And the devil wants to do nothing more than to impact your faith when he gets you down where it's in the tongue that you do or not loving the word. It's not just in those things that we can place our hands on, but it's in the deed. It's in truth. It's in living in what God has done for you. It's doing it with all your heart. Being fervent. Being the one who reaches down and has that burning ember within your heart. Now, there are probably some young people here today that may not remember, but when I was younger, and it was far worse before I was younger, so I'm not trying to say what I experienced was bad, but those that have been around a while, when you go into a restaurant, how, how many remember them saying, smoking or non-smoking? And how many times, my mom, she didn't hold back her feelings. She would tell a young man to pull his pants up, and it wasn't even her son. He was just walking by in the mall. We'd go in there, and they'd say, smoking, non-smoking. She's like, I am not sitting in a smoking section. And she just had that opinion, like, I'm going to eat, I'm not going to do it. And many of us probably had the same opinions, like, if that's all that's available, I'll go find somewhere else, because I don't want to smell like a bar when I leave this restaurant. And we have, we formulated those opinions of, I want to enjoy my meal, I don't want to smell like this, I don't want to hear people doing this, so, you know, it's just, I'm going to just leave it all alone. And I make a, a decision that I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go do something else because that doesn't meet my criteria. The Bible gives us two, two, two options. Do you want to burn within or burn without? Without being hell or go to heaven and have something burning within your heart. God gives us those very same choices. And you have to make up in your mind what is the criteria for your soul to be happy. Am I willing to do what God has asked me to do? Forsake everything. Surrender all. Commit my life to Him. And He'll place a burning ember within your heart. You see, there's power in prayer. You see, there was a man called Elijah. And you look in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah went in front of King Ahab and said, Listen, this is not going to rain for many days. You won't see a drop of rain. But Elijah had to live with his own words that he said, because guess what? He had to go out in the wilderness, and a raven had to come and give him food, brought him bread and meat throughout the day, and he had to drink from the brook, but guess what? That brook eventually dried up because of the prayer he prayed. If you look between 1 Kings chapter 17 and you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll see two things happen. You see the story of the Shunammite woman where Elijah had to leave the brook in provision and go talk to somebody and say, can you give me a cake to eat? And that's the vessel that didn't run out of oil or of flour. But it was because of the words that Elijah said. Or further on in chapter 17, you'll find that Elijah had to go and lay himself prostrate upon a young boy three times for him to be healed. And then all of a sudden you see God say, three and a half years later, now I want you to go talk to King Ahab. I wonder what those things did to Elijah. I wonder how those events between 1 first, between first Kings 17 and 18, verse 1 and 1 of each chapter, I wonder how that impacted Elijah. He went and spoke as the voice, the mouthpiece of God. And yet then he had to go be directed of God when everything ran out. He went down 
and what appeared to be taking the very last cake from a widow and her son. Elijah was a man. He was flesh, flesh and blood. God was on his life, directing him. But he used that to not only impact us today, but no doubt those events helped Elijah. He was willing to listen to the voice of God, willing to go stand before kings, but it was the small things in life that he was willing to serve in and say, I'm willing to walk by the anointing and the hand of God and walk into a woman's life, ask for a cake, and God provide for her that entire time. Bring the young boy back to life. It was the small things. He stepped from the audience of kings and spent time with the lowly. You see, our verse of Scripture doesn't distinguish anybody. Confess ye your faults one to another. It doesn't say unless you're a priest, a prophet, a pastor, a minister, a Sunday school teacher. It says ye, all, all of us. This applies to every one of us. You see, Elijah was also thought to be, is this Elijah coming back? Is this what the Christ is? Jesus was also thought of as maybe the prophet has come back, Elijah. You see, Elijah was misidentified as Jesus, or Jesus was misidentified as, as Elijah, just as John was, because they were willing to surrender and do what God had for them, work according to his purpose. Because in 1 Kings chapter 18, it talks about God spoke to Elijah and says, now go back and talk to King Ahab again. You have to be willing to walk and navigate and entertain things that you may not be comfortable with. For me, I am not a person that desires the front, the forefront. I, I am very uncomfortable talking in front of people. I was very shy, so very shy and backwards growing up. I didn't want to be out there in the forefront. I was not the social flower. I was the one behind the scenes, no one ever seen, and doing my own thing and and then God decides to put a call on my life as a teenager. And I'm like, God, you couldn't have done the worst thing to me in my life. I absolutely would run. And there was a pastor that walked by me one day. And he comes up to me and he says, Douglas, you need to stop running. And that man was Brother Paul Ogle. Pastors in Atchison, Kansas. He's seen it. Others seen it, but I was running. Even as a teenager, trying to figure out life, do I do this school? Do I go this career path? What do I do? But there was a calling that God was sending people to say, stop running. You have a purpose in your life. And here I stand today. No, no confidence. No, it's not like I've got it together. I'm not the Zig Ziglar of the apostolics. I stand down here on the floor with you because this is where I'm comfortable. And I try to do the purpose that God has given to me. We must all challenge ourselves to walk according to His purpose. There is coming a day, and I'll say this in closing, there's coming a day when everything comes together. Your life, my life, the pieces all fit together. It's beautiful. The Bible gives us 
a view of this in the book of Revelations. The book of Revelation talks about it, gives us this script, gives us, it even tells us the words that you and I are going to say. But in order for you to get to that point, you have to be willing to do what he said back in the rest of the scriptures. You have to be willing to have faith in him. Now this verse of scripture I've taught on this morning, no doubt you may have thought, well, we're going to talk about faith and healing. And I very well could pivot to that if I felt that. And I just spent time yesterday talking about story after story with my parents about how God healed and did miracles and signs and wonders. And I saw those happen as a young child. And I began to explain the ones that I remember. My parents said, well, do you remember this one? Do you remember that one? And that just happened seven miles down the road in Bonner Springs, Kansas, in the church that I grew up in. And I could easily pivot to that. But I believe God is trying to reach somebody's heart this morning. As I begin to study and the tears begin to flow, and God, you're reaching for somebody's heart. These are not just arbitrary words. You're trying to stir somebody's heart, pull them closer to you. And we can go back into scriptures and read, draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. And we can read these passages of scriptures, but what God is trying to say, if you want to get to the ultimate destination, if you want to make heaven your home, there's some things you have to do. You have to be willing to be transpa transparent in this environment that I've created that thrives on faith in Him, but trusting the process according to His purpose. You cannot fulfill God's purpose in a silo. You cannot orchestrate your life within a church family and feel like you are the lone player doing your thing. Because you cannot win chess with one piece. We are all a part, Brother Self, of the family of God. Just like you said. We all have our role. But I need you to survive. You need me to survive. Maybe if you don't realize how important we are to each other, you're not seeing the need for others. And maybe God is working in your life trying to get you to see it. And it may be 13 years later when you see a calendar event come through that he says, I've been working on you. Look how far you've come. And you sit there and you say, God, don't ever let me go back. I do not want to be the man that I thought I was. I don't. God, I thank you for changing my direction. I thank you for inserting the word of God in my heart to be willing to modify my steps. As the song says, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me and guide me. God, I want to be called according to your purpose. In the last passages of scripture that I'd like to read, I want to talk about that day. That day that I believe everybody in this house is going to be able to say these words. That beautiful, beautiful day. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. You know what those voices are? They're our voices. It's those that God has called. And we've walked this life and we've been found faithful. 
who have been willing to be transparent, willing to be changed by the hand of God, and there is going to be a chorus of our voices saying, Hallelujah. I've made it. I'm here to worship Him. I was a part of the plan of salvation. I experienced His glory. His honor was upon us, and He blessed us with His presence and the power of an Almighty God. And we sang those words together in the future, each and every one of us. But you can't do it unless you're willing to be a part of His purpose. Because it gets even more beautiful. Shortly after this, there's going to be something else that happens. In verse 5, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him both great, but small and great. We're all going to lift a voice if we're willing to have a fervent faith. A fervent faith in God, not just in, oh, I believe, and we pastors got up and said, how many believe that God can heal? And he's talked about that. How many believe that God can heal you? And the hands just wither away. We have to be faithful. But then we begin to sing and say some more words. We began to speak as one, and there is a mighty, anointed roar from the people as things begin to come together in verse 6. And it says, as I heard it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. In verse 7 it says, let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. What an image that comes to mind, pure and holy. That's when we've made it. When we say those words, that's when we made it. Until then, be found faithful. Have that burning fire that burns within your bosom where it leads you and guides you in all that you do. Say, God, don't let me misstep here. Let the words of my mouth not destroy those around them, but lead sinners to repentance. Let those words burn within my heart. I have to make that decision in my own life. God, I'm willing to do what you would have me to do. In verse 9 he says, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. He stood there writing with revelation, seeing this unfold right before his eyes. And God painted the picture and showed him this is exactly what's going to happen if you will be found faithful. He gives that extension of an invitation to everybody. It's not void. It's not empty. It's not something that's not there. It's, it's not an empty promise. It's not a political promise that if you elect me, we'll do this. But God gave promises that if you will do this, I assure you it will come to pass. But there's that beautiful invitation. 
that invitation that comes. And it's likened to a marriage. And as the scriptures we read in Revelation talked about how the bride who had made herself ready, pure and white and holy. You know what? You can't eat some things without making a mess. They always told us young men, don't, don't take your date to an Italian dinner for the first time. It's going to be messy. You're going to have spaghetti and whatever the sauce and you don't wear, you don't go to uh, go get some chicken wings and wear your Colonel Sanders white suit when you got buffalo sauce slinging everywhere and you don't do that. But it's just like that. that God gave us the example. In order for you to be here, you have to be pure and holy. And there's some things you cannot do in this world and stay pure and holy. You can't do these things without staining you. But my blood, my blood can wash those away through the act of forgiveness. He gives us that exception. But we have to have faith in the process that says, God, I'm not trying to do my thing. I've stumbled and I've fallen. Give me the strength. Give me the words. Give me the strength to reach out and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be walking according to your purpose. You see, God has promised great things. And that heavenly promise. And we look back, knowing what we know now, looking back over our life, and we say, God, thank you for a testimony. Thank you for reaching down into my life. Thank you for talking to my life and letting the conviction of the Word of God that drove me to an altar and reaching down into my heart and pull me unto you. I thank God. There was a man who preached a message called, He Could Save Others, but He Could Not Save Himself. I'm so glad there was a man that began to follow the anointing of the Holy Ghost, even though God was giving me, a sinner, a dream the very night before that God was wanting to do something in my life. It all came together, but I had to come to an altar and be transparent to God. As sinners, we all had to follow those very same steps. But as saints, transparency is still required. You cannot put up walls and doors around you and think, well, now that I've been touched by God, I'm good. It will be to your own detriment. If you isolate yourself, you have to be transparent. You have to be willing to confess your faults. You have to be willing to allow God to reach down into your life. You have to be willing to be transparent, as I said. You have to be willing that someone can reach down and say, I'm praying for you. And you tear up and you say, I need it. You have to be willing to let them be right about your spiritual condition. You have to be willing to let the word come into your heart instead of being, giving them the Heisman maneuver and holding them off because it's not meeting your criteria. You see, the Bible says healing comes if you do these things. We all want healing, but we have to be willing to search our heart. And even in preparation for this message, knowing that God, I've asked you to heal me, and I believe you've touched me. But I begin to look back through my life, and I pray, God, if the reason that I have an ailment upon my body is because I've sinned in my life, show me. Show me. And I ask each and every one of you, help me pray. Help me pray. It's been since June that I've been having very difficult time being able to just even sit down. Doctors are saying, we want to do surgery on your back and take things out. 
And I'm like, you know what? I believe God can heal me. But it's been going on for months and months. And I began, as I sat down, and God laid this message on my heart. Say, God, I'm preaching to me today. Because God, if there's something in my heart, I need the church to help me pray. If there's something here, I want it out. Because the Bible talks about, Scripture after Scripture, it talks about where God put ailments upon their body because of sin in their life. He even talks about it in the very passage of Scripture we read. What are you wrestling with? What is it that you cannot get over? God is looking for something in your heart for you to let go of it. What is it that you feel like you have to hold on to to maintain control? God wants to heal your heart even in this very service this morning. But you have to be faithful. You have to be transparent. You have to be willing to be a part of the process of forgiveness. Pride will lead us down paths that, my, my, will destroy ourselves. I, I have to be right. I can't be wrong. I'm, I'm always right. I can never accept defeat. I have to win. All of those statements come at a cost. And it costs you. One of the most sobering things as a parent is when you are sitting there not even really paying attention and you hear one of your own children do something that you don't like you doing. You're like, I thought I had this under control. Be careful because the ears around you are not just your own children, but the souls of the unsaved. Be careful. You may think you have it under control until you see those around you do the very same thing and you're like, how did they know? I thought this was under the blood. I thought I'd handled this. Search the heart. And there's healing to be found therein. You see in this very, very verse of Scripture in verse 16, and, and, yeah, verse 16 it says, it talks about the righteous man. It doesn't say if you have this title or if you have this genealogy, it says a righteous man. You know what that is? Someone willing to be right with God. Not right with themselves, right with God. That's where the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It is only by His hand, by His grace, by His mercy, that we can be found righteous in His sight. By Him reaching down and helping us and molding us. And by no means am I saying that I am that righteous man. I am a work in progress. If you want to find flaw, man, we can sit down and we can write a book on the flaws of this man. And I would have sources that I could say, why don't you talk to this child? Why don't you talk to this person? Because I am full of flaws. But God's grace allows me to rise from those moments, allows me to lean on His strength and not beat myself up and say I'm not, I'll never amount to anything because I know that if I can surrender my life to God, I can reach down and say, listen, self, lay it down. Let God do what He wants in your life. Let God reach down and minister to others. Let God be able to talk to them. And it's amazing, amazing. Some people 
and I'm trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just giving an example, so hear me out. It's amazing where some people want to go teach a Bible study, but they want that picture-perfect trading, picture trading card type person, like, oh, look at this person. Look what they have to offer to the kingdom. And we try to judge those, that, well, they would be awesome to bring to church. They would be great in the kingdom, but, but we overlook all of those other people in our life. I sit in a Bible study nearly every week, and we teach a Bible study to a couple of people that I have fallen in love with. Fallen in love with these people. Pray for their soul. God, save their soul. Like Bishop had said, I've taught them just about every Bible study I can think of. And I sit there across the table from them and begin to talk to them about the love of God, the plan of salvation, and no change. But yet every time I get up from Bible study, I don't feel like I've done much, but they keep coming back. And they say, we don't feel like we've been to church unless we've been to a Bible study. And they're sitting there, one's 95 years old, another one's 90, almost 93 years old, and you think, why waste your time, Brother Goff? Why waste your time? But they keep coming back every week. And at the close of the Bible study, almost every time they say, I never knew that was in the Bible. I grew up being this religion. My parents taught me this. I never knew. You see, we all have a responsibility to be that voice in lives around us. Because we may be the one voice that breaks through all of the things going on in their life where they say, tell me more. Tell me more. Because there will be a day of judgment where we'll stand in front of the judge himself. And I want to be able to say, God, I gave it everything I could. I gave you everything I could. I'm reaching for others, but I have fallen in love with a bunch of old people because they have a soul. That's not my limitation. That's not my capacity. That's not the limitation where God has called me to. But if I'll be faithful over the small things. Brother Savala said, hey, just because they don't walk in the next day after Bible study, keep reaching for their soul. Keep pulling on their heart. And one day, you'll strike that one chord and they say, what do I need to do to be saved? I won't go back and say, I've told you 27 times for three years, four years, five years. I'll say, let me show you in the Bible. And those things, and I've wondered to myself, like, do they even remember what I'm saying? But when I look over in the middle of a Bible study and there's tears in their eyes, I don't care. Because God is talking to their heart in that very moment. Words mean things, as Pastor says. And when they have the anointing of the Word of God, and we're sitting in a public library with a glass door separating us from everybody, I don't raise my voice. We sit there and we have a conversation about the Word of God. And lives get impacted. People's lives get impacted. 
you have to be willing to be transparent. You have to be willing to reach for hearts that you think, ah, I don't think they have anything to contribute to the kingdom of God. Why? So what if a 95-year-old man walks in and sits on the pew? What difference is it going to make? His life's almost over. And the devil will try to convince you, why don't you go find someone young, someone who can benefit the church, someone who can help further this message. But the power of the Word of God is this. If I can say the words that God gives and reach one soul, it's worth it all. So what if he spent 95, 93, 89, 87 years of their lives sitting in a denominal church believing that they're saved? But whenever you start talking about the plan of salvation and the love of God and the forgiveness of the washing of his blood and you begin to see tears come up and and they say, I never knew. You know what that means? I've been doing my job because I will not, don't want to be guilty of them saying, well, I sat in a Bible study with Brother Goff for years and he never said. He never told me. He never uttered those words. God has given each and every one of us a purpose and it's for others. It's for those around us. But you can't be the picture perfect saint and expect people to come running to you. I've tried it. I've been there. I've tried to manage my own image. I'm not saying I don't care what anyone says about me. But I care about what God says about me more. More. Even though somebody else's name is on my check and sign it, it's God that gives the increase. God that puts the roof over my head. I care about what He says. I don't care about what other people want to pull me in the office and say, well, you're doing a good job. We're going to do this for you. I don't care. Because when it all comes down to the very end, none of the words that I read from the book of Revelation says anything about how you finish life with what title, what you held, what you did with what you know earthly possession. It's were you pure and clean? Were you holy? Were you a part of the bride of Christ? And I ask you today, are you effective in what you're doing? Are you doing what God has called you to do? I say it passionately because I feel it deep in my heart. I feel like there are some of us, myself included, I can do more. God has called us to do more. Are you willing to do more? Don't try to schedule him in. Don't try to pencil him into your your, your calendar of your life. If anything, the best thing you could do is like what we had yesterday, delete all. And God, put what you want in my life. Change me, mold me, make me like you. I don't care what this world says. I must be found faithful. Because in that faithfulness, there's healing. In that faithfulness, there's a hand of God that reaches down and ministers beautiful things. That you thought, well, I thought I had it all together. And then you step back and realize, I really don't. In the marriage as we stand today, in the marriage example given in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke chapter 14 and verse 15 it says, When one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, 
And he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat in the kingdom of God. And then he said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. We have all been invited to be a part of God's kingdom. Everything is upon his terms and not our own. You don't have to read the small print. You just have to read the word of God. God give it to us for us to find a closer walk with him. At this point, I invite you to find a place to pray, whether it be in your pew, if you want to come to the altar. But I think that God, I know in God in talking through his word, has reached down and prompted some hearts to do some reflection. Be found faithful. Is your faith fervent? Is it burning within you? Is it something that motivates you and drives you to the place that God is willing to use you and minister to through you and allow the lives of those around you to be changed? God wants you to be found faithful, but you have to be fervent. Your faith has to be burning as a burning desire. Say, God, nothing else matters in my life, but it's you. Amen. As the musicians play, if you could find a place to pray, I think it would be fitting for us to take a few moments as we have time left this Sunday morning and begin to talk to Him and asking God to minister to our hearts today. Hallelujah. I worship you, Savior.